0: You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Westside Church. I'm so excited to be here this morning, and just I'm Bo Stern Brady. I am the pastor of discipleship here at Westside, and it's just been a fun series. I hope that you're loving it wherever you're watching it. Um, we've been looking at the miracles of Jesus and how the miracles really reveal to us the character of God. Uh, we see all of God in Jesus and all of Jesus in God, and we we tend to split that up into funky pieces. But the Miracles bring it back together. We start to see how God loves through the way Jesus loves through the miracles that he does. And so this has been a funny summer. I think last summer I got married and we had our wedding guest list down to like a science. Like we knew we had 142 people on that list. We knew our venue would hold about 122. So we were like counting on some no's like (laughs) maybe, maybe they won't say yes. It was that kind of thing, but it was, it was our dream wedding and it was really fun. And this year has been, in the year of the uninvite have you gotten them have you gotten that you got the invitations in like january to the wedding coming up in march and then you get the little thing in the mail that's like we're sorry we love you but you're not in our circle of 10 you don't get to come to our wedding and i feel so sad about that for people who have been planning their weddings because weddings are a big deal But it turns out, at least in the state of Oregon, they're not essential. You can get married, but you don't get to have the wedding of your dreams because weddings aren't the marriage. They're just the wedding. They're the party part. And that's one of the reasons I love the miracle we're looking at today because Jesus steps into a wedding and cares about it. He cares about the actual party. And it is a great miracle. And so and it and it just reminds us of all of these things that commitment matters to God and parties matter to God and relationships, more than anything, matter to God. And so let's jump into this miracle. It's found in John 2, and we're gonna read all the way through it, and then we're gonna look at what there is for us inside of it. It says, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, which is a pretty sassy response for a son. to. I mean, my son would not get away with that response. But when you look at it in the original Greek language, I promise you, this isn't how it sounds. This Jesus is, is... is responding to her in a way that is appropriate for his culture and his time, and he loves her, and it's okay. Um, His mother said to the servants, oh, he says, Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So they were already disciples, but something happens here that makes them believe like believe, believe. And that's what the work of God will do in our lives. It's this process. It's not step over a line and now I know all there is to know about God. It's this process of seeing and believing and seeing and believing and believing again and believing into our faith. And so we see that in all of the miracles, but especially in this one. So what is the background of this story? it starts out by saying on the third day. This happens on the third day. And when I was reading it, I thought, on the third day of what? On the third day of the week, on the third day of the month, on the third day of what exactly is this? And turns out it means on the third day from the last verse. So John 151 is the last verse of John 1. And then it flows into John 2. And as you know, chapter designations are not divinely inspired. They're just something we put in there to help make it easier to preach. So this just goes seamlessly from John 151, which says this, Jesus then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So Jesus is telling them, you're about to see divine activity in front of your eyes. And then on the third day, Jesus is at a wedding. On the third day after this promise, on the third day after Jesus said it's about to start, It starts, and we all know third days are important to God. So this miracle is the beginning of the revelation. It's the beginning of the unveiling of the person and purpose of Jesus Christ. This is the launch pad for everything else that's going to happen. And what I love about this is of all of his miracles, it's arguably the most unnecessary one. I don't know that anyone, I mean, if you love wine, you're going to love this miracle. If you hate wine, you're going to think this is a really fast and loose way for Jesus to use his power. But the bottom line is he chose this. And I want to know why. When we're looking at the miracles, we don't just look at what he did. We look at the core value behind what's fueling him to do it. And so, To look at that, I want to look at another thing written by the same guy, by John. We're we're reading about this miracle in the Gospel of John. And John, as you know, was the last living disciple. He probably... So all the other disciples martyred, he was the last one waiting for Jesus to come back. And he writes late in life. Um, and so that we, if we start here, this miracle happens in like 33 or so AD, 30 AD. And then if we jump ahead, to 95 AD we hear John write these words and these words I think have become entrenched in the character of John the disciple John who so understands the love of God that he makes it his identity in his book I he he calls himself the disciple Jesus loved he just knows what it means to be loved by God and he says this dear friends Doesn't know God and we skip right past these words so many times and we read it and we read it in this big picture thing and we fail to understand so many times that all of God starts in relationship. Everything he does, every every word he speaks, he is motivated and moved by relationship. All trust starts there, all love starts there, everything supernatural starts there. It is all about relationship. This is the poured out love of God on humanity. And I've been thinking recently about... Macro, micro. We're really focused on a lot of macro issues right now, which would be like racism, um, the pandemic is a macro issue, um, gun violence, uh, gender equality, uh, all, all kinds of macro issues swoop through our culture. And if you watch them closely, they are very noisy, but they are always changing. You, you for, for a minute, we're talking about the wildfires in Australia, and the next minute, we're talking about a pandemic, and the next minute, we're talking about Black Lives Matter. And so the macro issues are always there, and they're important, but they're always changing. You know what doesn't always change? Micro issues. Because I've been a pastor a long, long time now, and when I sit across from someone who's telling me their life is desperate, I can tell you it's going to boil down to like three or four issues. It's going to always come back down to loneliness or usually relationships, uh, God. There are only a few micro issues that really define us and define whether or not we have purpose and identity. That's a big one. And so there are these, these micro issues that are at the heart of humanity. And those micro issues only become prevalent when they bleed out into the macro. Like a lonely kid shoots up a school. And then what do we talk about? Done violence. And really and we have to we have to talk about the things that matter we have to talk about macro issues but we have to begin to view them through the lens of micro issues or we'll always use the macro to excuse us from addressing the issues that begin in relationship it's gonna it's gonna always be a way that we we strap this tourniquet around our bleeding wound and talk and fight and argue and try to politicize things that ought to be being dealt with heart to heart and so I think this is an important time for us to look at this miracle and say, why does Jesus turn water into 150 gallons of wine? Because he understands everything starts with relationship, everything. And so whoever you're viewing with today, your house, church, or your spouse, would you consider this idea of When you look at any miracle, ask this one question. Where is love leading Jesus? Where is love leading Jesus to heal the blind guy? Where is love leading Jesus to turn water into wine? Where is love leading Jesus to tip over tables in the temple? Where is love leading Jesus in what I see him doing? And then turn it back around and say if I want to become like him, if that is the truest definition of spiritual spiritual maturity or spiritual formation is to live my life as if Jesus would live it, it, to become like him, to live like him in my world, then where Where is love leading me right now? Where is love leading me when I turn off this service and step out into my world? Where does love lead me when I decide to put on a face mask or not? Where is love leading me? Because it's not about policy. It's about relationship. It's always about people. So, The relationships we see here are Jesus and his disciples, Jesus and Mary, and Jesus and the party people. And I would add in there Jesus and the servants. And so I'd love for you to take a minute to talk about that. Not right now, keep listening to me, but talk about this afterwards. What do you see in these relationships that we see in this miracle? Who does Jesus love the most? How can we tell? How does he respond to these people? What is the result? Ask those questions. And as you ask them, we begin to see ourselves inside of these stories. And it's so, so good. So it's interesting to me that Jesus goes to weddings and that the disciples were invited too. Um, Jesus and his disciples were part of the same social circle, it appears, because there's no reason, Jesus doesn't have a ministry yet in this in this. M- time and so they wouldn't invite jesus and his entourage they're all invited to the same wedding and cana was a rural town about eight or nine miles from nazareth where jesus was raised and so it would that would maybe explain why his mom and friends were there Um, and these parties though seem to be a core value to jesus and not an interruption jesus meeting with people seems to be a real part of the reason he came so often he builds his relationships around a dinner table 11% of his miracles involve Jesus feeding people he Seems to want to be face to face and heart to heart because that's where trust is built That's where relationships are formed Um, When I look at going to a wedding or a party as an obligation or annoying, I'm an introvert Sometimes I don't want to leave my house And when I look at it that way, I am missing a brilliant opportunity to live in love like Jesus Jesus even built the greatest sacrament around the table He said do this every time you remember me and so I think sometimes we've reduced that to a thimble full of grape juice and a cracker and It looks to me like that was actually a meal with friends where they talked about each other and about life and where they were going and what was gonna happen next. And I think that every time we sit around the table being willing to remember and to to see face to face and heart to heart and share real dreams and real fears, that to me is how we remember the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. when we get around the table, that's where relationship starts. And you know that's where trust is built because if you've ever been invited to somebody's house for dinner or a party and it turned out they wanted to sell you something, you know how relationship is misused. And so it's powerful when we use it correctly. One little aside in this story that I love. If you read this story in the original language, which we won't make you do, um, John uses all active tense verbs. It's it's so interesting. He says, and she says to Jesus, and Mary talks to Jesus, and Jesus says to the waiters. um, he's, He's keeping it very active, which was unusual in this literature of the day. And I think it's because he wants us to be a part of the story. Because if we can be a part of this story that has already happened, we can understand that when this situation shows up in our life, Jesus is a part of our story too. He he writes us into the story and this simmering in the background of this miracle is this idea that Jesus loves marriage. And I think he loves marriage more than weddings, but Jesus loves marriage. And, and so maybe this is a stretch to apply this, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I think it matters. If you're, in a marriage right now where you feel you're about out of wine and you feel like maybe the love's almost out and the party's almost over, I think Jesus really cares about the condition of your marriage. And I think this is a good day to believe him for something new inside the old. This is a good day to say, I'm just going to be bold like Mary and I'm going to say, I don't know if we have wine. I think we need you to show up in this and I just want to challenge you to see what might happen because the same God who turns water into wine can turn indifference into love. So that's just a a cul-de-sac. Takeaways from this miracle that I love. There are a ton of them. Again, talk about them in your group, but there are three that really stood out to me I want to share with you. The first one is Jesus is fun to be with. Jesus is a good time and i really love that especially right now i love to read about the jesus who hangs out with kind of eating and drinking and having a good time on the patio i really love that Um, we see lots of examples of jesus eating and drinking with sinners and drunkards and gluttons mark 2 and 16 matthew 11 and the parables in matthew 22 and luke 14. Um, but the bottom line here when we're looking at the way of jesus is that jesus was someone people wanted to be with. And, and he, he was invited and didn't, he didn't have to be invited. He probably wasn't the coolest guy to have at your party, but people wanted him nearby. And here's the thing. Jesus would have had fundamental disagreements with everyone at the table. Everyone. Jesus, the son of God, would have fundamental disagreements with 100% of us we all have something in our heart that jesus would be like no nope, that's not that's not how i meant for that to be at all and yet Jesus sits with them and enjoys them without berating or bullying or pulling the bait and switch. You know, I want to sit with you, but i also want to share 10 minutes about my Godhead at the end of this. He is able to be there and be present and be a part of the party. And I think that as people who want to be like him, we got to be like that too. I really do. Again, micro macro issues, I had someone talk to me recently about a child who is going away that they never saw coming. They didn't anticipate. And it is it is ho- holy against their beliefs. And she said, I, I just, I don't think I can have relationship with my son while he's going this very, just going up away from God's will, away from his plan. And that makes me sad because inside of the micro issue that kid is facing, Jesus always shows up, not in spite of our imperfection, but probably because of it. He always stays close. He never takes relationship. And I wanna be like that too, where in spite of the issues, I wanna be good to be with, without trying to fix you all the time, you know? Um, Number two, Jesus is constantly turning unclean things into clean and beautiful and valuable things. These containers were used for purification. They were a symbol of the law and they are filled with ordinary water. Couldn't be more ordinary. And Jesus also is made of ordinary stuff and divine stuff. And Jesus steps into the ordinary and he doesn't pull wine out of the cosmos or out of nothing. He doesn't snap his fingers and... Wine miraculously appears. He takes something ordinary and turns it into something so much more. In fact, he, he, it's not just a, a little bit, it's abundance. As I mentioned, this is six containers, 25 gallons each, 150 gallons of wine. I did the math, that's over 700 bottles of wine. Jesus is making, and it's funny to me too because he doesn't ask them to fill him to the brim. He just asks them to fill him, but they fill him to the brim and so they got what they got. They got what they filled. And, and so it's, it's this uh, important to see that this abundance that Jesus gives at this wedding comes through the doorway of need. It comes because there's a lack. I know that's really obvious, but it's profound to me because they could have planned their way out of this. Plan better. You have enough wine. Invite fewer guests. Portion it out better. Do a better job, and you won't need Jesus to show up. But it doesn't seem to matter how they ended up in this situation. Jesus still shows up and they experienced something better than they could have planned for. And I really want to not be so afraid of need. I want to be not so afraid of lack that I never leave opportunities for Jesus to show up. That I, oh, that I plan my way out of every possible miracle. Jesus shows up when there's lack, when when there's a recognized need, and then he builds something beautiful out of it. And that to me is such a beautiful part of this miracle. The third thing, arguably the most important thing, is that we are part of the dance. Mary steps into this moment as someone who can see the need and she can see the solution. She's she's got it really in her crosshairs. She understands exactly what's going on here. And um, actually the the early church fathers they as they wrestled with how to describe a certain aspect of spirituality and and all of us that that have been following Jesus for a while know that that discipleship is language any growth in life really we need words to put around it we need words to put around our emotions so that they can attach to our thoughts and we can understand what's happening and so how we describe something is really important and so in this the early church fathers were struggling with how to describe the Trinity, the Trinity and its operation throughout the course of human history. And so they were describing a lot of things and metaphors and everything that they, they came up with ended up feeling static and boring and not uh, nuanced enough and not dynamic enough. And so finally they landed on a Greek word. It's the word perichoresis. And it means rotation. And they're describing the Trinity, arms around each other, rotating in a dance around human history and around our issues and around this wedding. The the Trinity always at work. I mean, maybe we need to, to lose from our language, God, please, would you show up? When we understand he already is here. He already is dancing in your room. Can you see it? Maybe our prayer needs to become, God, make me aware of your movement in this space. Because Mary seems to be aware of it. And I think it's because she already was invited into this miracle dance before when she was young. And so Mary sees... Oh, because here's the punchline that the the early fathers would would understood that there were moments in history where the Trinity would open up their arms and invite a human in to be a part of the dance. We see it when Jesus hands the bread and fish to the disciples to distribute to the people. He invites them to be a part of it. And we see it here where Mary says, I'm going to step up to the table and I'm going to say, I see that they have no wine. And she appeals to her son, not knowing what he will do. Jesus hadn't, hadn't done a miracle before. I don't know if she thought he would run out and buy some. I don't know what Mary thought he might do. She just knew I'm going to be part of the dance now. And then she has not only the ear of Jesus, she has the ear of the waiters in a way that Jesus wouldn't have yet. So Mary is their clearest picture of intercession here. She sees a need. She gets in the middle. She joins the solution and the problem together. And she does it not by travailing for hours, not by saying a certain prayer, not by manipulating, not by berating, not by begging. She does it just by saying to Jesus, they have no wine and saying to the waiters, trust him. That's all she does. And then she's out but she is a part of the dance because sometimes I wonder why Jesus did this miracle. And the only thing I can come up with is because he loves his mom. It starts with relationship. And Jesus responds. And he doesn't ask the waiters to do big things. He doesn't ask them to crawl up the stairs on their knees or hit themselves with chains or give a million dollars. He asks them just to fill a jar with water. He asks the disciples to hand out the food. He tells them to cast their net on the other side. He tells the man to pick up his mat and walk. We do the simple things, he does the saving things, but we get to be a part of the dance. And he never asks us to do his part, only ours. And if you're exhausted serving Jesus right now, it might be because you've picked up his part. You've picked up the convincing part. You've tried to be the solution to people who need him. And all you need to do is be the connector. And so, what do you not have enough of today? Joy, health, peace, uh, happiness in your home, money. What do you not have enough of? What if we just made ourselves aware right now of the presence of Jesus wherever we are? We recognize that you fill the whole universe and you fill the whole state, and you fill our whole city, and you fill our whole room, and you fill everything, including me. And so I I wake up and recognize that you are here and you are dancing around this time in our world. And you have what we lack. And so Father, we ask that you would step in through the door of need into the hearts that are broken and empty and hurting and longing for you. We ask, God, that you would come and be super abundant, more than enough, running over. God, we love you. We thank you for the work of Jesus, the person and purpose of Jesus Christ, as it has been um, poured out in our lives, the poured out love of God into our hearts, into relationship. And we ask more than anything, more than anything, more than anything, that we would become like Jesus. We love you, and we worship you. In your name we pray, amen. So hey, take a few minutes and talk with your people about some of these things today, and look at this miracle again through fresh eyes, and please have the best week ever. We love you here. Thanks so much for being with us this morning.